Welcome to the Quick Stop F1 podcast. My name is Nyasha and you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We appreciate that. Joining me today is no one. Just me. Just me, just me, just me. Why is that? I actually just kind of wanted it. I wanted it like that. There's things that I want to say. Get off my chest without having to be like the past the parcel thing. You know, like as a presenter, obviously it's my duty to be able to uplift others. What do other people have to say? What do you have to say? Today, I just want to say what I have to say, and that's it. Gosh, that is so loud. But I want to thank you guys at home. If you're watching this far, I would fucking hope so after a minute. Make sure you smash that like and subscribe button. Really, really helps as well as if you're listening on Spotify, leave us a five-star review. Over 500 of you have left us a review. Really appreciate that or a rating. Go on to Apple Podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, scroll down and you can leave a review of us as well, as well as a rating. And obviously, we've got the page on there for the ad-free stream. Hammer Marco. Oh, Hammer Marco, Hammer Marco, Hammer Marco. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired with this sport. And the lethargy? Lethargy. I think that's how it's said. Either way, the sluggish reactions to everything he's done, and just the fact that maybe because it was a non-race week and there's less in the news, maybe because the groundswell of uh, feedback, pushback on everything that he has done finally reached a crescendo to the point where Helmut Marko has had to acknowledge and apologise for what are some clearly xenophobic and racist comments about Sergio Perez. Not for the first time. And I am just so tired of having to report on this stuff. I'm so tired of having to... Not even having to. I'm so tired of hearing about this shit commenting about this shit and getting pushback from racists saying that we're wrong, we're snowflakes, we're hypocrites. Like, do you listen to what you have to say to yourself? But either way, look, for those who don't know, some of you may not know. Some of you may not know what uh, this guy actually said, and I had it. Uh, Right. So, okay, well, I've got the the apology here. And then as I'm reading the apology, actually, Chris, could you get me what he actually said? Um, But I've got the apology here. And the the apology says, concerning my remark about Sergio Perez, uh, Service TV Sport and Talk Monday, September the 4th, I'd like to apologise for my offensive remark. I want to make it absolutely clear that I do not believe 
we can generalize about the people from any country, any race, any ethnicity. I was trying to make a point that Checo has fluctuated in his performance this year, but it was wrong to attribute this to cultural heritage, which is crazy. Because if my man was on trial right now, he would actually be so gooey that they would lock away a key. This guy is like so overly gooey that he will be escaping from prison under a canteen truck next week. That's how gooey he is. This is ridiculous. Here's one other comment that Helmut Marko has said about Sergio Perez beforehand. <clears throat> Red Bull chief jokes that Sergio Perez must have been drunk on tequila after blowing podium chances at the French Grand Prix. Now, obviously, Sergio Perez is of Mexican heritage, so pretty... Pretty lazy thing to say about someone. It's just crazy. This is his own driver. Here we go about uh, some more things that Helmut Marco said. If you think maybe it was a one-off. Maybe it was a one-off. Maybe Helmut Marco isn't actually a massively ignorant Backwards thinking man, maybe he's just made a mistake, right? Maybe he's just doing something that, you know, he's got a good heart, but deep inside, you know, he just seems to have made a mistake. Okay, well, here's another comment that he's made about Sergio Perez. Don't underestimate Sergio. He changed a lot since he came to us. He started working. Before, he was a Mexican race driver who was enjoying life. He still does, but he does the necessary work. This is crazy. Look, imagine your boss just constantly saying the most foulest, xenophobic, Racist stuff about you. And it's always like a twofer. It's always like, how could I offend Mexican people? And how could I offend Latino people at the same time? Crazy. Like, actually crazy. That we in F1... The other day, I said, I said that F1 is the most racist sport in the world. So people asked me, and people were saying, you know, when I said F1 is the most racist sport in the world, people would ask, like, why? Like, why is it? And it's because F1, the racism, Football's racist, right? I think every sport in the world is racist because sport is a symbol or mirror 
of the world. Right. And especially in football, I think I said this to someone as well, that, you know, with football, you can, and look, people, I, I think someone's like, you've never been to a football match. Believe me, I've been to a football match. I've been to football matches in the worst parts of the country you could imagine, mate. I went to, I've been to football matches in Stoke-on-Trent. I've been to football matches in, like, the arse end of North Yorkshire. South Yorkshire, sorry. I've been to Stamford Bridge. I've been to some awful places to watch football. Football, especially racism, is more pronounced around the world than it is in England. I think the stuff you see in Spain, for example, that Vinicius Jr. had to deal with, the stuff in Italy that Romelu Lukaku had to deal with, and, you know, and other black players uh, in, in Italy. And it's those things where in these localised areas or in these kind of cities or places where they may be less forgiving of or of people of colour, they may be a lot more ignorant. And then when, obviously, you put into that local rivalries and you put into that all of these, I guess, intense feelings people have towards football and local pride, F1 doesn't have that for sure. When F1 goes to Italy, F1 goes to Monza. F1 goes to the San Marino area. I haven't heard much of, like, let's say, for example, you know, black people, people of colour, feeling intimidated in those places. Lewis Hamilton has spoken about some of the racism he's experienced in Barcelona, for example, with the with the blackface, you know, and in Italy as well. But F1, the racism is so ingrained in the governing body of the sport. It's so ingrained within every single part of F1 that when stuff like this happens, in any other sport, we would be looking at outrage from the sport itself. Media outlets reporting it, daily coverage calling for Helmut Marco to resign. We would be having... Craig Slayer on Sky Sports every day. Updates, updates, breaking news. ESPN. Globally. It's crazy that the first person or the first big entity that we saw say anything was the Mexican Grand Prix. We still actually haven't heard anything from Red Bull themselves. Who famously, by the way, when Yuri Vips said the N-word, said that they had a zero tolerance on racism. Red Bull, when one of their members of staff was found to racially abuse Lewis Hamilton via text message in a group chat between his friends privately, 
not even their own driver, someone else, he got fired. Zero tolerance on racism. Helmut Marko is one of the most, if not, I mean, second most, third most senior person at Red Bull. This is not a lowly mechanic. This is not a junior driver. This is a man who's supposed to be representing the team at a higher level, boardroom level, decision-making level. This is the way that he thinks. This is who represents that brand. And I'm so sorry. In 2023, how the fuck is someone like this Anywhere near a professional organisation of any sort. F1 treats Helmut Marko. Do you know how they treat him? F1 treats him like, you know, like some of you. I mean, how do I put this? Uh, Some grandparents might have quite backwards point of views or ignorant point of views because they're older. They grew up in a different time you know they might say things at the dinner table that you're like oh my god granddad you know why are you saying that you can't say that that's how we treat it in don't look up there's like a bit where there's this pilot who's just basically super racist and xenophobic and everyone's just like oh he's from a different time he's from a different time that's how I front treats Helmut Marco. It's insane. This isn't about Mercedes. This isn't about Hamilton. This isn't about Abu Dhabi 21. Whatever differences all of us have in who we support, how we support them, surely we can all agree that this man is backwards as fuck. Like, he should not be anywhere near a Formula 1 team. I find it crazy. And this is why I say F1 is the most racist sport in the world. Because the lack of accountability that my man has been able to move with for so long. And then never really... Even the statement, I don't even know how that statement was released. It was a press release. It didn't come from the team. Red Bull are briefing the press saying he doesn't even work for them. Stop lying to me. You're literally lying. You are lying. And that's the other thing as well, is that F1 must think we're stupid or something. Like, again, in a week where it's quite clear that if it wasn't clear already, a lot of F1 press is essentially paid journalism, paid press PR, wait for something to hit your inbox, then report on it. Do these people not feel ashamed? Of themselves, Mario made like a really cool point in the Saturday show, which I would really implore you guys to go and watch, even just to listen to Mario read something out in Spanish. 
so fast. So, like, I, I've done, like, my Duolingo Spanish. And let me tell you, not fluent yet. So if you want to hear, you want to hear someone uh, be fluent Spanish, but also make uh, some excellent points, probably a lot more succinct than what you're listening to now, then go and watch that. We'll put a little thing above here. I'd really highly recommend you watch it. With Tasha as well, who also makes some points. But do FM Press not feel ashamed that the only time that they then reported on this incident was after he apologised? So if people on social media didn't say anything, these guys would have said nothing. He would have carried on again and again and again. How are you meant to make people feel like, again, you've put all this effort, we're this new sport, we want to bring young people in, we want to bring diverse people in, we want to bring people in who may not have even watched the sport before, but they look at us and they feel like they can be safe, they feel seen, they feel like welcomed. When you see shit like this, not a single F1 outlet reported on it until after he apologised. The video is there in 4K. It's not like someone's just made up a meme on Tumblr and then it's gone through like it does with everything else. The F1 press takes a value, face value. But this, we've got to wait. I'm not going to lie. How do I put this? And yeah. It is hard to convey seriousness with the pink sippy cup for those watching on YouTube, but I'm thirsty. And it's just water as well. So all clear thoughts, clarity of thought, very important. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> oh my God, what an idiot. Essentially though, You know what, today I'm not going to get into it in terms of Red Bull and their relationship with the press because I do think that if you look at the types of stories that come out about Lewis, Mercedes, and you look at the types of stories that come out about Red Bull, the tone of them, and look, of course, I support Mercedes. Uh, I don't support Red Bull in many ways, to be honest. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Red Bull are an incredible team. I think they're the best F1 team I've ever seen in my life. Um, in terms of what they're doing right now, operation more operationally than anything. The lack of mistakes is just ridiculous. Um, but Sky Sports travel to races with their, with Red Bull. They eat lunch in the Red Bull motorhome. They have Christian Horner commit so much time to them every week, you know, and provide insight for their program, probably for free. Which he's obliged. I know he obviously won't charge, but they're getting a great service of that. You know, at what point 
F1 press, everyone has the, their accreditation kind of dangled over them. If if a team feels like they've said anything libelous or they've said anything to hurt a company or a team's reputation, then maybe the you know their accreditation could be taken away, and you know that's why we rarely get any real form of pure journalism from F one, and which is fine, but you know as a sport. When, you know, I have an athletic subscription and that's supposed to be hard-hitting journalism, but the best thing that they've done or the thing that's got the most traction from them this season in their first season has been them doing their press release for, you know, how we should appreciate Max's dominance. And I think that's the most retweets and conversation I've had, I've seen about the athletic and their new F1 division. So I don't know. I don't know. Let me know what you think in the comments. I just can't, I just can't get with some of the comments that we've had about this. You know what? I'm going to read those separately in a different video. But, yeah. I just find it hilarious that we're in this position. I, was, I saw someone say the other day, it's Helmut Marco set F1 back. This shit was, this shit is back, back anyway. Look at the reaction to the civil rights movements that were happening in 2020. Look how football responded. Look how the NBA responded. Look how Formula One responded. Formula One couldn't get 20 men to agree on one way of showing their solidarity with people who are being persecuted all over the world. I've just <laughs> this sport is crazy and then you try and tell people hey this is pretty fucked up what do you get back someone telling you <laughs> the n-word or someone telling you that you're a hypocrite because why didn't you report on Toto Wolf and his comments about the Jeddah strikes. Why didn't you report on Toto Wolf's comments about uh, the discrimination Lewis Hamilton faced? I can't remember the actual quotes, but but we did. <laughs> That's the madness. We did. But it's almost as if in F1. People would rather defend a team than defend humanity. And I find that disgusting. And that goes for people online. I think that goes for F1 press. I think that goes for F1 teams themselves. 
it's not cool to have your whole identity mocked in a super stereotypical negative way, especially when those types of things are things that can hold you back professionally, personally, socially. And some of you will never understand what that's like. So that when you see stuff like this, it's just a game to you. It's just a game. Some of you will be commenting underneath this very video with the self-awareness of a fucking... Ugh, fly hovering around some shit. You can mock people as much as they want for bringing stuff like this up you can dismiss it you can turn it into a game of what about you can make people feel smaller or less than for trying to bring these conversations up but at the end of the day Doing that doesn't make you a bigger person. It actually makes you look and sound incredibly small. Small-minded, small heart. Just like Helmet. I just can't wait for a day that he's gone. More of the people that defend him are gone. I mean, just fucking move forward with this sport, man. And just make it like a much better place. Diversity is good for any organisation, any group, anything. It's been scientifically proven. It helps businesses make more money. It helps engineers get to solutions quicker. Diversity of not just identity, but diversity of thought, diversity of beliefs, diversity of things. Differences, when put together and accepted make for better things full stop and you close-minded people that have an issue with increased diversity and what then comes with it is an increased awareness around racism xenophobia any form of discrimination just find out weird as fuck anyway those are my thoughts on Helmer Marco. I again I super, super encourage you guys, if you've not listened to go and listen to the Saturday show. Some really good stuff there. Um and yeah. Well done to Mario and Tasha and Chris uh for producing uh, an incredible Saturday show. So there you go. Congrats. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear a word from our sponsors and then we will discuss Felipe Massa. Oh my God, what a loser. Back after this. Well, well, well. Felipe Massa. I don't know <laughs> what this guy is doing, but. Uh, let me tell you right now, he is moving so mad right now. I will get uh, the post up right now. But essentially, Felipe Massa, if you don't know, based on some what I can only describe as batshit crazy comments from 
Bernie Eccleston, who, again, another one. Keep these racist old white people away from the sport. Why are they here? Who are we even listening to them? It's crazy. Anyway, Bernie Eccleston said something along the lines of he knew about Crashgate in 2008. If you don't know about Crashgate, the long and short of it is that Renault deliberately told uh, uh, Nelson Piquet Jr. to crash his car at Singapore 2008 to essentially set off a safety car which would allow Fernando Alonso to come up the rankings and 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 benefit from said safety car. He actually ended up winning that race in the 2008 battle. Pardon me. Felipe Massa is saying because they knew of that and didn't punish it or do something about it that season... That makes the result of the championship illegitimate um, and they should cancel that race. And if they cancel that race, then he becomes champion. I don't think that's getting much traction. Uh, And even if they were to do something about that, the only thing that is really possible would be to take Renault out. But if they do that, then I still think Lewis Hamilton wins the title. So um, it's not, I don't know. 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 I don't know what he's fighting for, but his, uh, his uh, lawyer, his lawyer uh, essentially um, has said the following regarding the 2008 title. Um, so Felipe lawyers, Felipe's lawyers want Lewis Hamilton's support in his fight for the F1 title in court for the integrity of the sport. He is an important ambassador for sport and has always defended sporting integrity. He is an honorary British citizen, a Brazilian citizen, and much loved by Brazilians. So I hope he supports us. We have absolutely nothing against Hamilton, pointed out Bernardo Viana from Vieira Resenda Advogados in a statement to Reuters agency. The fucking nerve. The nerve. Is he okay? Is this guy... Is this guy tapped? In the head. Did who's the who's the lawyer from the Simpsons? Hold on, Simpsons. Is it Hank? Simpsons lawyer. Lionel Hutz. That's who Felipe Massa's hired as his lawyer. Lionel Hutz. I can't believe this shit. Let me get this straight. Not only are you going to court. 15 years after the fact and trying to get a title stripped from Lewis Hamilton for something he had nothing to do with, for something that even if it was to be found true, would still not benefit you. 
You're using the, you're trying to use the strength and affection that Lewis had for Brazil. And the strength of affection that Brazilians have for Lewis Hamilton. And then you're trying to flip reverse that and get use it as a emotional pawn for Lewis to give up his first world title that he won fair and square on the last corner of the last race in Brazil. Buddy. That is crazy. You've got to be kidding me. I can't, ab- I mean, leaving <laughs> aside the fact that all of this has been done through the press, you are trying to essentially emotionally blackmail Lewis Hamilton into into doing something. Oh, sorry, by the way, also as well, I I forgot to say that I was answering someone's question. We're going to get a bunch of questions from you guys that you've asked us on Twitter. Um, And someone asked, I can't remember their name. Let me get it up now before I forget. Uh, Pisces Groove. Uh, Alala de Lan. Uh, I'm going to copy that. Uh, she asked the question of what my thoughts were on the massive situation, hence why I'm giving that such a way to remember that. Um, yeah, I, honestly, I, I, again, there's been more coverage of Massa's failed bid to overturn this 2008 thing than there was of Helmut Marco's comments on races, uh, which were, you know, xenophobic and racist. And I just, um, I just find it really, I don't know. It's a non-story. But the problem is, what happens is, people are now taking this and running with it as a reason because people don't like Lewis and because obviously I think people don't like the fact that people have, you know, protested for so long against Abu Dhabi 21 and they want to find something that they can throw at Lewis to say, this is a championship that Lewis has cheated on or benefited from cheating. Um, And I just, I don't know. For those who don't know, Felipe Massa drove out of the pit lane with a fire hose stuck to his fucking car in Singapore 2008. There was a fire hose stuck to his car. He was driving down the pit lane. He nearly ran someone over. If anyone fucked Felipe Massa over in Singapore 2008, it's Ferrari. That is it. Ferrari doing Ferrari things again. Felipe, bro, I'm sorry. Like, you've got to let that one go, bro. You've got to let it go. I'm so tired of hearing about this. It's not going to go anywhere. And I think it is lowest of the low. 
either come out and say that you don't believe what your lawyer is saying, which I doubt, and sack him, or that's what he actually thinks, that Lewis should give it up for the love of Brazil. And if that's the case, that's some of the snakiest shit I've ever I've ever seen in my life. I can't abide by that. I'm sorry. That's that that's just that's ridiculous. And uh yeah. Felipe, bro, can't do them can't do them things there, bro. And that's all I've got to really say on it. I mean, I don't want to stretch that out as much as as much as we have to. Right. Let's go through some of your questions. Thank you. I was a bit worried. It's gone like four or five minutes and no one had said anything. Um, but we had a couple of questions. So um, there was a question. Well, there's a couple of similar questions. But there's one from Naz. Right. So Naz asks, friend of the show, friend of the show, uh, who's been a guest a couple times, um, she says, what are your thoughts on Toto Wolf as a TP lately? And do you think he should be doing more in lobbying for a rule change that looks to bring back Red Bull's dominance a bit? And it's also linked to another question that someone had um, from Ali, who is uh, at Gulinho, uh, who also asks, um, are the FIA waiting too long to change these uh, in brackets, shit regs. 2026 is the next earliest proposed changes, which sure will base more narrow and lighter cars with active aero being mild as an additional change. Ground effect stays. Thoughts. So I'll answer this in two parts. They are actually two quite different questions, but <laughs> I guess they do kind of go into to the same thing. So uh, do I think Toto should be more aggressive? I mean, I think my issue with it, and I do fluctuate from time to time between Toto should do more and Toto is between a rock and a hard place. I think that... It's a tough one, right? Let's say that they have got a design thing that they've probably now been working on since what? Um, March, right? We've basically binned this concept and then started working on the current concept since March. We start advocating for things which could change that up, then who knows? Maybe they bring in a directive which absolutely messes that up, then you're really back at square one. And then what? You've been campaigning for something that your car isn't quite suitable for. I'd also argue, what is it that you want to change? What do you campaign for? I, you know, the DRS, I guess, but how do you... I mean, look, they're a lot more technical than me, and there is a floor directive that's just come up recently, um, which is said to potentially affect 
um, Red Bull and Mercedes. But I don't know. Part of me says yes, but also part of me says that if you look at the period where Red Bull campaigned and campaigned and campaigned for stuff, how much of it actually got through? Um, or what, or sorry, what difference did it actually make? Not much. Mercedes still managed to find ways every year to kind of overcome these regulation changes. You know, whether that's party mode, DAS, I think there were technical directives in like 2017, uh, pardon me. Um, there was all kinds of things. It wasn't until the rake uh changes in 2021 which was on very last minute which did not allow really for any design change or for any um real kind of flexibility with your designs to the point where mercedes didn't really understand their car until silverstone really and pretty much well although they started off really well i think they won the first three out of the four races but after that once red bull caught up they really struggled um, and that that's kind of what led to the seesaw of the 2021 season. But it took seven years, eight years for, you know, for the regulations to actually hamper. So unless there's a silver bullet that can take away from Red Bull and give to Mercedes, and Toto knows exactly what that is, then fine, maybe campaign for that. But I don't think they even know what that is. So we've got these regulations for two years. We might as well see if we can get it done in the next two years. And then we'll see. And then we'll see. One thing Mercedes now has to do is build engines. The next technical change is a big one with the engines. Red Bull have to build their own engines. So who knows? This domination might last for another two years. I think I'll be more disappointed. I'll be even more disappointed if we get to 2026 and Mercedes are still struggling. I think that's, for me, that would be when... I think I'm willing to give Toto another two years, basically. The rest of this season, 2024, 2025, unless we go really backwards. Um, I think I'm willing to give him that. And then if it doesn't get better from there, then we've got serious problems. Serious problems. Um, in terms of, so I guess going into that, the 2026 regulations, are they waiting too long to change regulations? They can't bring it forward because everyone's still building their engines. So I'd love, I'd love the 2026 regulations to come in 2025. I think they were supposed to come in 2025, but everything got pushed back and there was the engine freeze. And, and so, yeah, I think it'd be great if they were brought back, but they won't be. And yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I'm not that excited by the new regulations. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I think I'm just going to wait and see. I'm never that excited by new regulations just because 
Formula One with the cost cap the way it is, if one person smashes it, then it's long for everyone else. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But hey, hey, hey. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. How I feel about the new regulations. Um, I am going to go with. Uh, this is a good question from uh, Molatello uh, Focana uh, at uh, Sane underscore uh, Sante underscore Latte. I'm gonna. I'm sorry, sorry. That pronunciation is probably awful. Um, so. Oh yeah, I, need to, I read the question and <laughs> I didn't read it out. I'm about to answer it. Uh, they say, do you think Danny Rick's F1 career is over or has Checo given it hope? Fred having dinner with Charles and Lewis during the break. What do you think they talked about? Oh, God. Uh, and there's something about Matthew. Oh, Matteo Bernardo coming back to F1. Do you think it's crazy? Something like, wow, there's, I, there's literally four... Qu- Four questions in there. Um, I'll answer the first one about Daniel Ricciardo. I think Daniel Ricciardo... I think Daniel... I think, honestly, I think Helmut Marko wants Daniel Ricciardo and Liam Lawson in the Alpha Tauri. And I think the fact that they're coming towards the end of the Honda kind of agreement, they already have, essentially, you know, they, you know um, but... Yeah, I don't think, you know, I think if Yuki, if they didn't have such a close relationship with Honda, I don't think Yuki would have been kept on. Um, uh, so, honestly, I can see, I think Checo's going to stay for one more miserable season, I think, especially with everything that's just happened now. I think Checo's going to stay for one more miserable season. I think it's going to be Liam Lawson and Daniel Ricciardo. Um, as the two drivers um, at Alpha Tauri next year. And in all honesty, 2025, that second Red Bull seat is going to set off a pack. It's going to be like a pack of dominoes. One move is going to set everything off. And it's going to be so interesting who that's going to be. I don't, I think unless Daniel Ricciardo does something insane next year, I think that Liam Lawson has more chance of being in that Red Bull car than Daniel Ricciardo. Um, honestly, I think that the talks of Norris won't ever go away, I don't think. Um, I would love that. I would honestly love that. Uh, I think Verstappen would smoke Norris, though, but I would love to see that. And if he does, then I think McLaren needs to just go all in on Oscar Piastri, but then they've got to see. And so we just don't know with the, the merry-go-round of F1 drivers how it's going to fall, but I do think Daniel Ricciardo's top level f1 career is over uh and i think he'll be in f1 well we'll see but i don't think a top team will ever have daniel ricardo in this seat 
to be honest. Um, let's go for a quick fire one. Uh, Adetun, uh, hashtag Dankaseb at uh, Adetunyemi. Uh, she asked, or they asked, uh, let me not presume anyone's uh, pronouns. What do you prefer, chicken breast or chicken leg or chicken wings? I'll rank it. Legs, wings. Ooh, wait, actually, actually. It depends, though. Breast always on the bottom. Sorry, not a fan. Although, what I do like to do, and this is me, this is like the Southern African man in me coming out now. Let's talk about how to cook a chicken on the barbecue and ensure you have moist breast. So, I like to what they call spatchcock chicken, which is when basically you cut the spine out of the chicken and then you lie it flat, right? So it's basically what you're doing is creating an even... Oh, my nails are so dirty. I've been on the barbecue. Um, you have an even, um, even cooking surface area. So when it's round and you have it in an oven, it's harder for you, unless you're basting it a lot, to get equal coverage. Um, whereas, and you can't cook it high and short. You have to kind of have like a moderate temperature, which is what dries out the breast. Whereas, if you can spatch cook it, you can cook it for like, in the oven, like 220 degrees, depending on the size of the chicken, like between 45 minutes to an hour, and it will be the moistest breast ever. And it's really nice. I like to have leftover breast in like, from the, the, the bride in sandwiches. That's what I like, because it's still moist. But, wings. I'm not going to lie, I don't cook wings a lot. I, Teddy eats wings, for that's his food. He has like boiled chicken wings. I like wings when I'm out. It's probably one of the only things that I'll order from a pub because it's hard to get it wrong, wings. But if I'm in the house, drumsticks all day. So I'm going to say, as a chef, legs, wings, breast. I hope that helps. Uh, <laughs> uh, right, let's go with... Um, this one from DRS Open Podcast. Big up these guys from South Africa. You can see how deeply unserious a country South Africa is. Uh, would you rather fight a one horse sized duck or 100 duck sized horses? I really hate fighting. That's really put me in a tough situation. Um, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with the one horse sized duck. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not scared of that. A hundred fucking ducks. Like, ducks aren't that small. A hundred mini horses is scary as fuck, bro. How do you even deal with that? 
ducks are not tiny. We're not talking about like minuscule animals here. This is like a reasonable sized animal. So I'm going to go with the horse-sized duck. And I think even then, oh, ducks can fly though. Oh, that's scary. A horse-sized duck that can fly, that is... But still, it's one. I think I'd rather fight one big thing. I reckon I could run away from a horse-sized duck. I don't think I could run away from a hundred fucking horses, bro. And that's that's the long and short of it. That is the long and short of it. What's easy to run away from? Anyway. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, oh, JP. And like, I guess we're back to F1. Thank you for the silly questions from everyone. Uh, JP, our friend. Uh, he asked, best place to get curry goat in London, Tottenham. North London's got the best uh jamaican places to eat um if you're ever in london i'm trying to think like central there's a food stall there's a couple of food stalls in central london i can't remember the one but it's the place in between uh soho and oxford street around the corner from duck and rice there's a uh and Yawacha. there is a Market on that street. There's a couple of nice places there. Shoreditch has a nice uh, market as well, which has a great um, Caribbean uh, person who sells food. Um, but most importantly, what do you think needs to change off track of Mercedes to bring them closer to Red Bull? Guys, Mercedes need to become more ruthless, okay? And by that, I mean, I want to see Mercedes really go for those incremental gains. I know that, like, the pit stops were great the other day. Can they be consistent? The strategy, we're still umming and ahhing whatever that pit stop situation was in, I want to say Zanvoort. Not good enough, right? We need to be ruthless, we need to act like we've got nothing to lose because we don't. We still make decisions like we have something to lose. And that's what Red Bull, they are a ruthless racing team. And I'd almost rather see, I mean, look, what I like about it is that we're so consistent, so, so, so consistent. And that's awesome. But Mercedes need to be more ruthless. And I think whether that's in talent behind the scenes wise, whether that's in feedback, whether that's in strategy, operations, I think that for me is, is what's necessary for Mercedes to push forward. And I think that's, for me, that's that's really important. Uh, Silky uh, at XO Silky XO big up every time uh, they ask um, which driver has impressed you the most this season I'm not going to lie Oscar Piastri is really impressing me I'm I'm excited by Oscar Piastri in a way that I've not been excited about a junior driver for a long time. 
And I think it's really telling that the last two races, Mercedes have basically, Mercedes McLaren have basically swapped them, him and Lando around. I w- I'd love to see. I mean, yeah, I, I still don't think his pace is quite there, hence why they probably swapped them around. But considering what we saw Daniel Ricciardo do the last two seasons, for him to come into that seat after having a year cold from racing and do what he's doing and in such an unassuming way, I think I think he's incredible. I'm really excited by him. And um, honestly, if, if Mercedes were looking at Lewis Hamilton replacements, then for when he retires... Uh, then I, I think, yeah. But McLaren have got a game on a death row contract, same way they did Lando. So, yeah, 100%. Um, right, two more questions, and then I'm going to go. There's some really good ones here, which I'll answer in text form. Um, but this is a really good question, actually, from... Uh, Charlie Taylor, Chili Charlie 22, who asks, uh, I haven't watched an F1 race since uh, Abu Dhabi 21, obvious reasons, but still keep a peripheral eye on the sport via you and Pit Stop Fracker, big up the lads. I'm calm uh, with binning F1 because I have plenty of other interests, but I've always wondered, is there an event where you'd possibly boycott it? Uh, I'm asking, considering you guys obviously now with the community you've built have a significant stake in it all, whereas I just enjoyed it as a fan. Um, it's a really good point. I don't think I'll ever, I'll never boycott F1 now. And I think that's obviously like this is going to be the way that I make a living. One of. And I think what I always want to, what I really want to make sure is that F1 is not the sole way that I make a living because I am going to have times where I feel a bit, how do I describe it? Dispirited, disillusioned is the word I'm looking for with the sport, but I will never be able to boycott it. It's my second sport, to be honest. So, you know, I love football. Football and Arsenal will always be my, 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 my love. F1, I've been watching it since I was six years old. I'm in my mid-30s. Like, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to stop watching F1. I've watched through so many scandals that now I, I kind of geek out that now I'm kind of inside it in my own little way and then I get to talk about it and I get to make content about it. For me, it's really cool. And I think even if something, if one did something super heinous, I don't think I, I don't think I, I mean, I I don't think I would because I would love to talk about it. And like, I think it's important for us to talk about it and to give our perspective. So I'd never, I don't think I'd ever boycott the sport. I, I was never boy. I mean, I understand why people did after Super W21. Look, there's a period when I was just a fan. I don't think I watched. I got bored during the Vettel years. So I remember, and I was also at uni. And I don't know if this also coincided with Sky getting the rights. I can't remember when Sky got the rights. When did Sky F1 start? Um, 2012. Wow. So even then, it was still free, free to wear. 
but I I didn't um I was at uni so 2000 and yeah 2000 and kind of like eight nine ten eleven I had such a tumultuous time and I just I was not following the sport at all so I kind of like grew out of it 2012 I tuned back in again on and off I had a job in retail which meant I had to work some Sundays so that didn't help and look this was before the age of um replays and online highlights and it was really hard to find the highlights of races if you missed it on tv and didn't have recording capabilities so so yeah um i get it i do i do really get it i do get people who boycott but i think i'll always i'll always comment on the sport i think once lewis retires i'll be able to comment in a way which is a lot more neutral um and we'll turn into one of those super unbiased like accounts everyone wants us to and we'll see how that works out for us i don't think it will work out that well but yeah i think i'll always want to be involved in the sport somehow because i love making content about i love the community that we've built i wish i'd had this i'm so jealous of the people who've had this from the beginning of supporting f1 i started this because i was watching f1 on my own for like the majority of my adult and kid life and the thought of having a community is just incredible. And so I wouldn't want to give that up so easily. So I hope that answers that question. Um, right. We've had a couple of questions on uh, Austin and Vegas. Very funny. I've got a running joke with Tandy. Tandy will not stop asking me about Austin and Vegas. Oh, my God. Every two business days, Tandy will call me about Austin and Vegas. Um, we are going to do some kind of live thing, get together, meet up. I want to do it away from the track. I do think we deserve to do that in Austin. Um, Vegas, I'm not going to lie to you. I want to go mental. And the way that we're going to do the Austin stuff is going to be completely different to where we do the uh, uh, Vegas stuff. Um, a couple of questions on tickets. Um, someone asked, someone asked. Uh, oh my God, why can't I find it? I literally was just looking. Oh, here it is. So Asaf uh, asked, uh, how did you get Austin and Vegas tickets? Are you going with Tandy? Of course, I'm going with Tandy. Um, and someone else asked, oh, hey, here she is, Adelina Daniela, which I think is like one of my favorite names. What a look, Adelina Daniela, like that is lovely. I think you're going to Austin in Vegas. Can you talk about what you want to do and how excited you are? Um, yeah, so essentially, um, the money we made from the goatees paid for flights and accommodation for austin and vegas um so we've not been gifted anything i think that's really important to say that um the money that we've made uh ourselves has kind of been put into this 
for us to go and it was really important for us to go to America. We could have gone to some European races, probably more than one, probably three or four, to be honest. Um, but we um, we really wanted to go and connect with our American audience. I think it's really important, you know, the majority of our listenership and viewership are in America, so, and the people who buy the merch as well. So that was important for us to do that. Um, I'm so excited. I've never been to a Formula One race. I've never been to America. I've obviously never been to Austin or Vegas, which are two of the craziest cities that you can kind of pick for a first time to go to America. So I'm super excited. I know Tandy is. I think what I want to do out there is just talk to as many F1 fans as possible. I think that's what I want to do. Austin... We have got general admission tickets. I don't. I think we've just got the cheapest tickets possible. Vegas, I unless someone gives us tickets, I'm not buying tickets. Um, I want to do video content around, I guess, fan led things in Vegas and and just how to have fun in Vegas as an F1 fan who might not even have a ticket, I'm sure there's going to be so much there. And I'm just really excited to document it all. I think that's what I'm really excited about, just to document it all, to document being there, to document all the fun stuff we get to, all the weird people we talk to. I don't care about paddock pass. Like, By the way, I'm so gassed for everyone that is able to buy paddock passes. I'm so gassed for everyone that gets gifted paddock passes. Big up Denny, who I think we all lived vicariously through her um, in Monza as a guest of Lewis Hamilton. You know, it's crazy. You know, Denny's been a guest of Lewis Hamilton. I think Trayvon's been a guest of Lewis Hamilton. Um, Darius has been a guest of McLaren a couple of times. Um, you know, everyone who comes on this podcast just seems to be uh, be really, really nice up with some uh, paddock passes, but not us. Um, not us, but no. If someone obviously gives us paddock passes, that would be awesome. That would be great. Uh, I'm not turning that down. But I think what I want to show you you guys is, you know, we're getting there a day early. Hopefully the jet lag isn't too bad. I want to be able to go and check out the food spots and do a little content on the city itself. And, 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 uh, and then I want to go, you know, and that includes Vegas as well. And I want to, uh, I want to talk to the fans. Like, really talk to fans, and I want to fucking, I don't know, just soak it in. We work really hard, and I think I think everyone deserves to be able to have that kind of fun. So I'm excited to have fun. I'm excited to meet people. I'm excited to document it. Um, but I guess I'm just excited to take the next step in the type of content that we can make about Formula One and experiment with that and, and kind of go from there. 
Um, so yeah, um, no, we weren't gifted anything. If we do get gifted stuff whilst we're there, cool. Um, if we don't, fine. Uh, we're going as fans, I think. We're going as fans, making fan-led media. And uh, I'm really excited for that. So hopefully that answers those uh, those questions. Um, and yeah, and then that's it. And then I'm going to call it there, guys. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, make sure you leave us a like and a subscribe. Spotify, five-star review. Apple, leave a worded review. Patreon, add free stream. We'll be back on Saturday, Sunday, for some of you, for the Saturday night show with Mario and Tasha. Uh, make sure you check that out. I will be back with Tandy and a guest after the Singapore Grand Prix. Um, and yeah. And hopefully we'll have some announcements for the live show by then as well, as well as potentially some other cool stuff coming up and um yeah i just want to say thank you guys thank you for all the birthday messages oh my god i've never felt so popular in my life <laughs> um, that was overwhelming i'm still they're still instagram if you said happy birthday on instagram i basically just ignored it it was too much it was too much. Now I feel bad because it's like a week later. But honestly, thank you for the birthday messages. It was a great birthday. I spent my birthday napping. I think I made some nice food for myself um, and drank myself to the point of sleep. I think I fell asleep at like 1130 <laughs> um just what you do when you're in, when you're in your mid-30s so um thank you to everyone who wished me a happy birthday i really appreciate it um and it was yeah it was really nice it was really really nice um and uh yeah yeah really cool so thank you um yeah and then that's it uh oh yeah sorry Chris is just me. Jay actually got invited to uh, McLaren in Austin last year. Uh, so again, you know, everyone just seems to be getting all the stuff, except from us. But remember, guys, no matter what life throws at you, whether it's lack of paddock parks, past tickets, or <laughs> the strength to reply to people's birthday wishes, remember, no matter what life throws at you, keep it on the black stuff. Until next time, goodbye. Toodle pip!